analysis. That one was a uh, pretty rough one, which is a real pity because this this eleventh stanza didn't um, didn't really jump out at me right right off the bat. But the more I went through it, and the more times I recited it in my head and verbally, I really came to like it. And this is clearly the most, some would say, combative stanza. There's a lot of, I will not, I will not, I bow not. And so I guess we'll find out what Tolkien feels most strongly about in this stanza, as far as feels most strongly about on this subject. So, first, first line. I will not bow, sorry, I will not walk with your progressive apes, erect and sapient before them gapes. I will not walk with your progressive apes. Apes here, that word is, is very charged. Even reading it, I get some tinges of just what pops in my head and these are just things that pop in my head so I know that Tolkien is not meaning these and I'm going to explain that how I interpret this but apes calling people apes it it, it makes me it has a tinge of racialism maybe unintelligence prim, primitiveness but the interesting here, the interesting thing here is that I think that what he's saying is that these progressives and English progressives of maybe the mid-20th century were becoming very, very secular. And part of that secularity was saying that not only are we descendants of Neanderthals, essentially primitive apes, but that we are mere animals. Now some secularists might push back on that, but Tolkien here is saying that this progressive attitude has diminished the status of man. And I think it's important to go up to an earlier stanza um, where he says, where he says, Disgrace he may be, but is not dethroned, and keeps the rags of lordship once he owned his world dominion by creative act, not his to worship the great artifact, man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined. So, I don't know how much higher you can place men without creating, without creating this idol, right? If we were to say that, uh, that man, if Tolkien were to say that man is the creator 
as opposed to the sub-creator. And again, Tolkien here is saying that we are lords. We're not kings. Tolkien has this very medieval, in some ways feudal, cosmology. And in that feudal cosmology, you have God. And I want to say that Tolkien thinks of us as below God. Just just below God. We are the sub-creators. And I, I would have to look into Tolkien's thought more to see what he thinks about angels. People go back and Christians go back and forth as to if man or angels are higher in that hierarchy. As far as creative precedence maybe. Creative agency. But we'll go back down here. So this this is derogatory. Don't get don't get me wrong. But the interesting thing is is that I think Tolkien would see this as I'm just calling you what you are calling yourselves. Now people can determine if that's fair or not. I haven't looked into the in intellectual movements of that time enough to really say if that's correct or not. But it's an interesting place to start. Next line. Erect and sapient before them gapes. So, er erect and sapient. Erect. This, this, in this single word, I think what he's encapsulating is that progression from apes. So, we are still... He is saying that these progressives think that we are apes, but merely erect and sapient apes. Before them gapes, next line, the dark abyss to which their progress tends, if by God's mercy progress ever ends. The dark abyss. So, reading through this the first time, what pops into my head is hell, right? But Dark Abyss here is not capitalized. And I want to say that I had that platonic idealism um, hypothesis, maybe, <laughs> about this poem wrong when I started. I don't think that's how this capitalization works, but I think it does point towards something like that and when he says dark abyss here I think what he means is nihilism if we look at the ways he used light in earlier stanzas it's been things like they have seen death and ultimate defeat, and yet they would not in despair retreat, but oft to victory have tuned the lyre, and kindled hearts with legendary fire, illuminating now, and dark hath been, in light of suns as yet by no man seen. So, this light, he uses light, the imagery of light in this poem, to symbolize knowledge authentic pro, pro progress but it's not an individualistic progress it's 
progress from our ancestors, a type of cumulative knowledge that we must gain by respecting and admiring the accomplishments of what came before us. And that really points to the central ethos of this poem in some ways, is that we look back at the dedication of this poem and essentially what Lewis said to Tolkien before becoming a Christian. He said, let's see if I can remember it off the top of my head. I say it every time during my poems. <laughs> to one who said that myths were lies and therefore useless, even though breathed through silver. There we go. So Lewis, in saying that, he's saying, yeah, I mean, they're nice and they're pretty. They sound good. They may even have deep value, but they're not real in the same way that our lives now are real. And Tolkien is saying that, is responding to Lewis by saying, reality, enlightenment, knowledge, and even the way that we see and name, form these construction, these conceptions around objects, it's all communal in a certain way. But again, I'm going to appeal to this yin-yang analogy where it's the individual and the communal coming together and integrating. And so the dark abyss to which their progress tends. So the further along they go in this progress, the more Tolkien thinks that we're going to be we're going to walk into this darkness and it's an abyss so we're not going to be able to climb out because in that progression we've we've cut off the line of being able to do that because I think in Tolkien's worldview being able to live a fulfilled and ultimately enlightened existence is bound up with respect for the divine or maybe I should say maybe I should say dwelling with the divine and Tolkien thinks that that flows from God but in the same way there are many spiritualities that can tap into that. Lewis has a great line in Mere Christianity where he says, if you're a Christian, you don't have to believe that all religions are false through and through. When I was an atheist, I had to believe that the majority of people in history have gotten the question that means the most to them wrong. When I became a Christian, I could put that aside and I could see the value in different religious systems. Even though coming back, if you identify as a Christian, where, 
where those religions differ with Christianity, in the end you have to align yourself with Christianity. That was just a summary of, that was all a summary of Lewis's passage in there as far as I can remember it. But the point is, is that there's the secular, the atheistic, and this is a very simple way of saying it, but there's the atheists, the atheistic, the secular, and then there's the rest of humanity that is willing to entertain the idea and the and 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 a relationship with the divine, whatever that means to whoever's spending time with that divine. Okay, next line. If by God's mercy progress ever ends and does not ceaselessly revolve the same unfruitful course with changing of a name. If by God's mercy progress ever ends. This is somewhere that... I, I wonder if Lewis and Tolkien differ in this idea because in reading The Great Divorce by Lewis we see that even though it's a very simplistic sim, symbolism, um, it's Lewis symbolizing what he thinks heaven might be like. Progress doesn't end when we die. We still have to climb further up and further in, as Lewis says, once we get to heaven, because we still have things that we need to work on in order to to perfect or to per perfect ourselves with God's aid and in that book Lewis says that has a very interesting idea about purgatory and it really integrates into that idea but just read it for yourself it's a it's a great one I think it's the best of Lewis's fiction that I've read but Tolkien says by God's mercy, progress will someday end and we won't have to have this ceaseless striving, right? This not-enoughness. Because we will be able to dwell in the divine and with the divine. By God's mercy. And does not ceaselessly revolve the same unfruitful course with changing of a name so clearly Tolkien is saying that we've had the same essential problems with humanity throughout time and this is something that I personally believe to whatever extent I have exposed myself to history in general it seems to me like we are making the same mistakes over and over again just we've changed the names and I'm trying to think of examples okay one that comes to mind is we have the the, the Gracchi brothers in the Republic of Rome <coughs> excuse me in the Republic of Rome towards the end of the Republic these two I want to say tribunes 
they must have been tribunes because they were advocating for the proletariat. But the Gracchi brothers advocated for essentially some type of communism. They wanted to take the land from the from the elites and disperse it to the lower citizens. And that created this huge conflict that resulted in in Sola gaining power as the as the elected dictator of Rome and going on this political terror. And I truly believe that we've seen that same set of events in Russia in the beginning of the 20th century with the Bolsheviks. And then you had Lenin. You had Stalin. So in some ways, again, it's a simple interpretation, but in some ways can we see how the Gracchi brothers and Lenin and Trotsky were very similar in what they in their approach and what they were ad, advocating for and then in the same way can we see how Sto, can we see how Stalin and Sola were responding to that in somewhat the same way now the Romans, after all this turmoil of Julius Caesar, Pompey, Caesar Augustus, um, Mark Antony, through that process, they switched to an em- to an empire under an essential dictator under the Caesars, and I'm not as sure if we can say the same about Russia. I would, I would lean towards saying that it was a dictatorship in Russia for a long time, perhaps still is. The difference is that it's not lineage-based, so there's a difference there, but I should probably continue here. Okay. Unfruitful course with changing of a name. There we go. I will not treat your dusty path and flat, denoting this and that by this and that. I will not du- treat your dusty path and flat. So what does dusty mean here? I had to think about that for a while. Um, if you think about a dirt road and you think about a lot of people walking on that road, it kicks up a lot of dust. If you think about a truck going on a dirt road, a lot of dust. So on these paths, there's a lot of people traveling on them and they're flat. They're easy to walk on. And this is clearly um, a reference to Jesus saying, essentially, I'm going to get this wrong, but essentially saying the road to paradise is narrow and the road to damnation is wide and easy. And so he says that and then he says, denoting this and that by this and that. And this is so interesting to me because I just got through a 
lecture series from the great courses on the modern in intellectual tradition. And the professor, I don't remember his name at the moment, but the professor talked about this idea from Derrida, from Jacques Derrida, about difference. And essentially what that is, is that as far as I can understand it, from the professor, not even from the source material, is that when we're using signs, when we're using ways of means of communication, modes of communication with other people, that can be spoken word, that can be gestures, that can even be it can be signs, it can be colors, it can be anything that communicates something to another person. And we try and pin down the objective meaning in those signs we can't do it and that is because every sign is referencing another sign and it's just entirely circular the professor put it in an amazing way where he said what do we do when we want the definition of a term well we go to the dictionary and what do you get in the dictionary you get other words that define that initial word. So it's very circular. And that argument is extremely hard for me to refute personally. But I'd like to think that Tolkien is talking about that movement in the Western intellectual tradition. That there is no true meaning in things there's only reference and relativity and he's saying that that kind of circular existence leads us to nihilism and in a lot of ways i would i would agree with tolkien even if i can't ref even if i can't truly refute derrida in my own mind. Next line. Your world immutable, wherein no part the little maker has with maker's art. So now he's saying that because of this way of thinking, we as humans, as sub-creators, I guess in this, in this perspective, we wouldn't be sub-creators. We would be another animal. Or, in a better way to say it, we would be merely one link in the one link in the chain of causation in the purely secularist perspective, our brains are mere input output devices. It's all electrical synapses which take and give out electrical pulses and logically I can't see how free will makes sense without taking that leap of faith because yes in a purely rationalistic logical perspective I don't see how free will can make an entrance into that and so I think Tolkien is saying something like that that in order for us to even 
imagine that we have agency and in the end sub-creation power we have to take a leap of faith and lean on the divine because it takes something outside of the causal chain we call it the soul that transcends material existence in order to influence it from outside the system if you're interested in reading more about that pick up Lewis's book Miracles the beginning is too complicated for me to truly understand but maybe you can maybe you can <laughs> so the little maker has a maker's art the little maker has no maker's art is what he's saying and in this perspective next line I bow not yet before the iron crown nor cast my own small golden scepter down okay so here we go iron crown are both capitalized and I think this one I had to think about this one too a little bit but I think it I think I think it's pretty clear what he means here. The iron crown is industrialism. It's machinery. It's the principality of industrialism. That takes us away from transcendence, divinity and just surrounds us and and ultimately traps us within a secular mindset. So he says, I, I, I bow not yet before that thing. So he's not thinking of himself as invincible to that thing. So Tolkien is being humble here. He's saying that in himself, as an individual, he, he has no real power to combat this principality. But then we, so we also have this uh, letter of Paul, where Paul, the apostle, says, no principality or power can separate me from the love of God. And this iron crown is a principality. It's a metaphysical force that manifests or it, or it embodies itself in modes of existence. Okay. Nor cast my own small golden scepter down. See, Tolkien here is saying that he still has his own small golden scepter. Now, what is a scepter? A scepter is a it, it it symbolizes authority and it's given to a a ruler in order to symbolize that authority and I think Tolkien means here that it is authority is given to us we don't create authority in ourselves it's given to us by God and that is what allows us to do in our own small way rise above these principalities 
and it's also in interesting to see here that we have a distinction between we have a contrast here between iron and gold so what are some aspects of iron it's extremely strong it's malleable to a certain degree but not as much as gold so it's it's strong it's a little brittle in comparison it it breaks if you try and bend it and the biggest thing here is that it rusts it degrades if you don't care for it constantly and then we have golden so gold it's it's malleable so we are malleable if we are to accept the role as golden as opposed to iron we are malleable by the creator and we we are sub creators so it's not de deterministic within this perspective but we have to be malleable and take pride out of ourselves to whatever extent we are able to okay um, trying to think there was something that I really wanted to say here wrecked and sapient the dark abyss yeah okay I'll probably think about it and I will say it uh, I'll try and write it down I try not to write too many notes I think it would make the podcast a bit um, inauthentic but I'll probably write it down if I think about it because it was really important it was a really good one trust me um, alright that's it for this one one more stanza that's crazy okay see you next time